Hi, and thank you for tuning in to the Fireside Church Podcast. Fireside is a new church on the North Shore of Massachusetts. Our mission is to love God, love others, and help others do the same. For more information, check us out at firesidechurch.org. Until this disaster has passed, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp words. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I I will awake the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. Amen. Lord, we exalt you. We praise you. And Lord, we come before you knowing that you are the controller of all. That you are a comforter, a peace giver. So Lord, as we go into this time and to your word, Lord, speak to us in mighty ways. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. And have a seat. What a beautiful, beautiful weekend it is. Crisp, it's perfect, perfect for a Patriot game. Two, three, and O's going at it, which I'm pretty pumped about. And we just read a psalm that David wrote, and we're in a series called Responses of David, David's Response. And what we're looking at are these psalms, which are poems, sonnets, you know, these journal entries that were written, many of which were written by David himself, and they were written during certain situations of uh, his life, that there was a situation, a circumstance, and he would respond with a psalm. And so last week, we talked about David being in a cave, and this week, we're going to talk about David being in another cave, and just to kind of briefly catch you up, we're not going to go too much detail. David was the second king of Israel, was anointed the second king of Israel. And you had Saul, who was anointed by God as God's people, Israel, and he was the first king. And then Saul started doing his own thing. God departed from him. He went rogue. And then David was anointed the second king. But before he was actually king, there was a process in play. And so David kills Goliath. Many of you guys know that story. And then he gets a lot of fame, and Saul gets jealous. And so Saul tries to kill him, and David runs away, and he goes in hiding. And that's kind of where we are right now. And last week, remember, we talked about, you know, our place of comfort is not a place. Comfort's not a place. It's a person in Jesus Christ. And we talked about this idea that, you know, you know when we, we're pursuing protection, we're pursuing these safety nets where, where our family, where our friends, our finances are well, our health is well, and we've got to have a different perspective that it's not a place that we're pursuing. It's a person in Jesus Christ. So the prophet Gath, God says, leave your stronghold. And so he goes back to Israel and here he is now on the run again from Saul, who's trying to kill him. 
If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 24. And this is um, where Saul is yet again after David. In verse 1, he says, As after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. I have a three-year-old. He had to go potty. <laughs> David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So do you get the picture? David is running away from Saul. They're in this area where there's kind of hills and there's caves and they see Saul coming. And there's 3,000 men. That's not something you can hide, you know, coming. They probably saw the dust or whatnot. And they said, all right, quickly, let's go and we'll hide in one of these caves. And it was a large cave because, you know, David had 400 to 600 men with him. And so there they are in the cave, and here's these 3,000 men coming, and they stop right where they are, and they peer out, and they see their enemy, the king himself, by himself, walking to them, literally with his pants down. And you think, well, this is the moment that God has given to David. This is the moment that they've been expecting that their enemy has actually been delivered to them on a silver platter. And so David listens to his men who say, isn't this the day the Lord has talked about? And we don't even see that in Scripture. So we don't even know if that's truly what God had said. Most likely what I think is happening is that they probably kind of, you know, eschewed some of the words when David found out that he was anointed to be king. Maybe he said, well, this, you know, let's take things out of context and take a little bit further. And don't we do that sometimes with Scripture? We'll look at Scripture and we'll, like, kind of, you know, take it out of context and say, you know, God is going to do this for me. God is going to do that for me because that's what it says. And so they kind of egg David on. And so, egg, so David gets maybe he does like an army crawl. I don't know. He sneaks up and he cuts a corner of his robe. And this is significant because if you were loyalty, royalty, a king, if you grab the garment of a king's robe, it would signify I am loyal to you. And if you would cut it off, it would signify, I am disloyal to you. And David is constantly stricken because he's like, I had, I should not have touched the Lord's anointed because it's for God to deal with Saul. It's not for me to deal with Saul. And instead of cutting corners, taking a shortcut, David trusts in the process. And we're going to talk about the process today. And so I have this. Lego set here, and by the way, I should not have put this out for all our kids to see because I've been spending the last hour keeping kids away from this Lego set. But this Lego set, Ellie and I did uh, uh, last, a couple weeks ago while she was in the hospital. 
And when we first got it, the child life specialist said, hey, Ellie, do you want to do a project this week? And Kate was there and gave this, this the Lego set that had this beautiful picture that displayed here. It has this little, like, parasailing kind of boat, and it was called the Love Hotel. And this this. Lego set has over a thousand pieces, and the direction book has 250 pages. And so as we were starting to do this, Ellie was getting a little impatient because what she saw in the cover and what she looked in the box were not the same thing. She just saw a bunch of pieces. And she wanted so badly to do this and to create this. And it took us about four days no joke, you know, two, three, four hours a day sitting by the bedside creating what you see here before you. And it is really cool. I'm not going to lie to you. It's the coolest Lego. They didn't have these when I was a kid. They have, like, this, like, I don't know if it's a roller coaster or whatnot, but you put guys in. And they know kids because if a kid were to design a hotel, they would design slides everywhere and they would design roller coasters. So it is like awesome. And Ellie was so excited. And she would always want to jump the gun. And she especially loved this little heart thing in the middle. And Dad, when are we going to get to the heart? When are we going to get to the heart? Is this the heart? And when we found these pieces, she decided to put them where she thought they went. But what happened is, as we started building, we realized that because we skipped ahead, we were missing some pieces that didn't look like the picture. It looked like this abstract Picasso Lego set. And so we had to backtrack and find out where we went wrong and to follow the directions. And see, sometimes we have the same thing in our lives. That what feels good in the moment, what we desire in the moment, may make you feel bad in the future. And one of the hardest things for human beings is to trust in the process. And by jumping the gun, by cutting corners, we get to a place where we find ourselves missing pieces. We live in a world of instant gratification, don't we? Things are faster. Things are easier. You just look at Amazon, for example. The other day, we got an order of Hatchimals that we didn't even order because our six-year-old had ordered it for us on our app. It is that easy. So you would go and say, hey, you know, we need more batteries. You know, a couple of years ago, you get in the car, you go to the store, you buy batteries. And now I'm like, I, I'm too good for that. It'll be here tomorrow by noon. And this is what we do. And what Amazon has figured out, I was reading an article about it, is that they realize that people are more likely to spend more money on convenience. So if you're going to buy an item that's $50 on Amazon, but it was $40 on another website, People don't want to go through the process of putting their credit card information on another website. You've been there before. Like, ah, oh, my email, my name, my address, my zip, my telephone. I'm just going to go to Amazon. Be here tomorrow by noon. Right? Isn't that what we do? Because we just don't want to go through the process and the hassle and the efficiency. We just want easy. We want now. We want easy, simple. The process is just too much for us. And so David, he trusts in God's process. His 
his troops are like, this is now. You can be king now. If you kill Saul now, we don't have to be running around. We can go back to our families. We can go back to our lives. We can all move into the kingdom together. It'll be really great. And David's like, this is not God's process. I'm not going to jump the gun. I'm not going to cut corners and do something, take something in my own hands when I'm trusting that they're in God's hands. There's a marshmallow study that maybe many of you guys have, uh, are aware of back in the 60s. And what they did is they took a bunch of kids ages four to six-year-old. And this is just to prove that this is kind of in us. This need for instant gratification is in us, this impatience in us. And so what they did was they gave them a marshmallow and they sat them down in a room and they said, you can have this marshmallow now or I'm going to leave and in 15 minutes later I'll come back and if the marshmallow is still there, you will get two marshmallows. But if you eat it before I come back, well, that's the only marshmallow you get. Do you get the idea? You know, you get one marshmallow now or you can wait and get two. Two Two-thirds of the kids couldn't wait. And you, they had a camera on these kids, and the kids are going crazy. They're sniffing it. They're picking at it. A lot of them are covering their eyes. If I don't see it, it's not there. And this 15 minutes was torture. It's right there. I want it now. I don't want to wait later. I want it now. And, and many of you are thinking, well, those are kids. Kids are like that. You guys are the same way. I'm the same way. For example, if, if I had a really nice Starbucks coffee... Or Ovidia, wherever Antoine is. Plug for Ovidia in Amesbury. She's got a coffee shop. And this is like the best. Co- it's, it's like caramel macchiato, no whip, low fat, one cream, two sugars, and a venti cup and a grande. However you guys do your orders that take like pages long to say. When we go to Starbucks, Kate's like tell them that. I'm like, I, I don't remember that. I cannot tell them that. Nor will I. You just tell them that. But what if I had this coffee with you right now? And I go up to you, I'm like, see, this is the perfect coffee for you, and I want to give this to you right now. And maybe you're thinking, I had a late night last night, I, I didn't sleep well, I could, this bald guy who's telling me to do things is putting me to sleep, I could use a wake-me-up, whatever it may be, and you can smell it, and you can feel it. You, you know, like, one of the best things about buying coffees is just, like, the, the, the smell and the feel of it, not necessarily the drink itself. And I said, you can have this coffee right now. Many of you would be like, sign me up, done. Or I said, here's a gift card for Starbucks or Ovidia for $10. And when you go later today or tomorrow, you could get two coffees. Do you want the coffee now or do you want the gift card? And my guess, I know what I would do, say, I don't want to wait later. Give me that coffee. We do the same thing. That we have this in us that we want to jump the process, even though that the process may be more plentiful. I don't care about God's process. I want it now. I want it to happen now. I think many of us are afraid that if we don't take what's before us, God may take it away. Right? If Saul comes to me now, this is the time, and I'm not going to trust God that Saul is going to deal with Saul how he wants to deal with Saul. This may be the only time that this is going to happen, and so I'm going to act on it now because I don't want it to disappear. You ever feel like that? 
And I think the thing is, is that we need to recognize that not only, if, if we trust in God's process, that eventually we'll see the purpose in what God's doing. I was reading an article about the younger generation, millennials and digitals, that more than ever, they are leaving their jobs quicker. That they are only staying at their jobs for a few years before they're on to the next thing. And what they found, and the reason why, opposed to uh, the boomer generation that would stay at a job and maybe stay there 40, 50, 60 years to get a pension and live happily ever after, is that the younger generation is searching for purpose. But yet they don't want to wait and go through the process to find that purpose. And so instead of waiting, they'll just get up and quit and look for something else. Well, this doesn't fulfill me now. I'm on to the next thing. Well, this doesn't fulfill me now. I'm on to the next thing. Well, you know, this is just too much. It's too long. It's too hard. I'm going to do something different. Because we think this. If something is long, it's wrong. Something is too hard, it's wrong. If it's easy, it's right. If it's quick, it's cheap, it's right. And, and we just don't want to wait. If it's going to take time, then it must not be the way. If you go someplace and you plug in a destination in your GPS, and after a while you may be going and you'll be like, wait a minute, this is taking way longer than I thought it would, and you're looking out your window, this doesn't look right, and you start doubting that your destination is accurate. You pick up your phone, I'm like, well, it says this is the address they were giving me. And so I think that we do the same thing with God, is that God will take us places, and that may not seem right, that may be hard, that may be difficult, that may be long, but that doesn't mean they're wrong. What it means is that God is doing something. And in that process, it can be painful. The process can be painful, and God has promised, actually, that this life is going to be painful. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be, you know, quick. It, it's, there's going to be pain, but that doesn't mean that God's not doing something. Last week, we talked about training wheels, and as I was teaching my girls how to ride a bike, we went back and forth. Training wheels actually protect them, but they prevent them from the purpose in riding a bike because it doesn't teach them balance. And so we decided no training wheels, but that was a lot on me, their father. All right, so now they're out in the world. They're in an unprotected environment where if they fall, they could really hurt themselves. And as their father, what do I do? I start sprinting after them. And, and I'm running, and I am sweating because it was a hot day in June, and I'm sweating. And Ellie gets on her bike, and she's like, Dad, are you going to be there? I'm like, I'm going to be there. And she would fall to the right, and I would catch her to the right. And then she would fall to the left, and I would catch her to the left. And we would go, and then I would kind of feel like, all right, I think you can do, you know, a little bit on your own. And I would let her go a little ahead of me. And she did fall a couple times. I'm not going to lie to you. She would fall. She would get up, Dad, where were you? No, I'm, no this is part of the process, Ellie. This is part of the process, but it hurts. It's painful. And then she would see other kids riding their bikes. And she'd be like, Why do, I just want to do that. I, I want to ride my bike like they ride their bike. And I, and I read a post the other day that I really loved that said, don't let someone else's middle distract you from your beginning. Because there's people right now that have gone through the process, that may be ahead of you in the process, and you're like, look how successful they are. Look at their marriage. Look at their house. Look at all these things. I want what they want, and I want it now. Give me the shortcut to get to where they are now. 
and it can be discouraging you as you just start out. Oh, I, I, gotta, I do the same thing. I see other pastors. I see churches that are just like spitting out disciples. And I'm like, why can't we be that? And, and I remember, well, we're only a year, not even a year old. Right? I'm like, all right, there's a process. And if we try to jump the process, we're going to be missing pieces. And so as I'm teaching Ellie to ride a bike, there's this one time where she did fall, and she gets up, and she takes her helmet off, and she throws it, and she walks off, and I'm never riding a bike again. This is how she was, and I had to pick her bike up, and we walked it, the walk of shame, all the way back to our house. Two days later, I'm like, Ellie, I think it's, I think it's time to get back on your bike. So we had a talk. I'm like, this is part of the process. And a week later, Ellie was in the bike race for the PMC in Newburyport. And if she hadn't gone through the process, she would have never gotten to her purpose in riding a bike. And so how do we get through this process that's so painful? And I want to give you some scripture verses that have helped me out, and hopefully they'll help you out. And number one, this is what David says, in the cave before Saul comes to him in verse one, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. That there's a storm maybe brewing on the outside and that we are supposed to run to shelter and that shelter is Jesus Christ. I will take refuge in you, Lord. And then Isaiah says this. Isaiah was a prophet that God would speak to Isaiah. He would speak to his people and he said this. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That God will give you strength as you wait. I think it's also really good to know that God has a purpose for you. And you look around and say, you're in the process and it's so painful. You think, well, what's the point of this anyways? And if you can trust that there is a purpose for you, that will help you get through the process itself. David says this in verse 2. Before Saul comes in the cave, he says, I cry out to the God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He trusted that God had a purpose for him as he was in a cave hiding for his life. And Romans says this, this is what Paul says to the church that was being you know, sought out and killed for their belief. He says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That whatever happens in your life, God can turn that into good. And he can work it out for his purpose. And what are we called to do? We are called to love him. And if we believe that God has a purpose, then we can get through the process. If we are confident that Jesus even exists, there's in our middle school study this week, we were watching a video and they're interviewing this author and they asked him, well, why do you believe in Jesus? Why, why are you a Christian? And he said, I believe because it's real. It's so simple, but for me, it impacted me in great ways. He's like, well, if you think something's real, then you believe in it. Because you hear all these stories, well, you know, I just like the idea of a God who's helping me through life. I like the idea of love. I like the idea of this. But if, if you kind of say, yeah, those are all good. But if we believe that it's real, then it's something we believe in. You believe gravity's real, so you obey it. 
Because it's real. You don't just jump off a cliff and be like, you know, I, there's a possibility it's real, but let's go check out. Ah. You, you respect it, and you live your life according to that belief. One thing that I am so appreciative of our process with Ellie is that God has revealed himself to be real. Now, even though the process is painful, and the process is long, and it's hard, it's not easy, but God throughout it, has revealed the reality of who he is. And it will change how you live your life. David says this in another psalm. I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart and wait for the Lord. I love this. He said, you know, many people say, yeah, it'll, it'll get better. When you die and when you're in heaven, then it'll be good. But but he says, in the land of the living, you can see goodness by waiting on the Lord now. This is what Paul says in Philippians, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God doesn't do incomplete work. I think when we're going through the process, we're saying, God, you forgot something. There's a big piece missing. God, come and do it now. Are you confident that God is doing a work in you and he will complete this work in you? Are you having your life live with that understanding and that confidence? Because it will change how you live. But for me, I can get so impatient. And actually the word patient translated in Greek is long-suffering. So when God says be patient, he's expecting you to suffer for a while. And I'm always looking for ways to cut corners. The other day, uh, we need to recock our bathtub. And I'm reading the directions, and it said, make sure it's dry. And then I, like, started patting it, and it said, not with a towel. And so what I said was, like, I don't have the time for this. Batted it down, caulked it, and for three months, it was mint. And now it is peeling up. And now it is rotting and moldy. And Kate, the other day, is like, didn't you just re-cock that? And I'm like, yes. Well, what happened? I didn't wait for it to get dry. Why didn't you follow the directions? Because I just didn't. I didn't want to. It wasn't convenient for me. I wanted it done now. I was ready now. It made sense. And now i got to do it all over again. And in that process, I was missing pieces to complete what God had intended for us. See, what if David were to cut corners and kill Saul at that moment? Right outside of that cave were 3,000 men, and how would they feel when they found out that their king had been killed? Did David expect to be like, I have killed your king, now I am the king? My guess is that's not how it would go. Maybe David is saying, you know, there have been... I've been anointed, you know, we've taken on armies of size. Our 400 men can take on 3,000 men, maybe. But maybe God was teaching his men how to respect David as a leader. Maybe there was these pieces that David exemplified by waiting that in the long run, when he became king, helped him out to fulfill his purpose. In that study, the marshmallow study, the original study didn't just start out with the kids, with the marshmallow. The experimenter would spend time with these kids, and they would play a game. 
And throughout the game, the experimenter would leave and then come back. As they were playing a game, say, hey, I'll, I'll be right back, and they would leave. And what they were doing is they were building trust. So when the marshmallow came, the kid did not doubt that the experimenter would come back because he had proven himself to be trustworthy. And I think God has done the same thing in our life, that if you look back at your history in your life, you can see a resume of trust. Well, God did this in my life. God did that in my life. And what this process is happening now, I can wait because when I waited, I saw him come through. And I can see the purpose now. And so if you're struggling in the process, go back and look at the purpose that previously happened in your life. Because God is in the habit of building your trust. Trust in him. I want the team to come up here. And as the team's coming up, I just want to give you a few more verses to really understand this concept. Because I think it's so hard. I was listening to Tim Tebow Instagram something that said conviction over emotion. And I thought it was so powerful. And the comments were just blasting him. Because we live in a day where it's like, don't just do what you want. Do what feels good. Do what's right in the moment. And what he's saying is some things that feel right in the moment are not the right thing to do. And he talks about if you're feeling convicted about something, that maybe you should wait. That maybe you should just trust in the Lord. That there's a process. And because God has a promise for you, he's got a purpose for you. And he wants you to be complete, not lacking anything. This is what James says. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This word perseverance, another name for that is steadfastness. Steadfastness. Persevere so that when you come to your purpose or your place of promise, that you're not missing any pieces. That you're coming in completion of what God has done because God doesn't do incomplete work. And if you're trying to cut corners, you may be missing out on the pieces that God has intended to maximize your promise. David says this in the same Psalm 57, verse 7, My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. And so I'm like, what does this word steadfast mean? So I looked at it, and it means to be firm or to be fixed. To be fixed. My heart is fixed on you, God. My heart is fixed on you, God. And then Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We're all in a race. We're all running. And it's tiring and it's hard. But with God's strength, he will get you through the process. And if you trust in him, he will provide the pieces for his ultimate purpose in your life. But when you try to do a quick fix, like me on the bathtub, you're not fixing your eyes on Jesus. You're fixing your eyes on the problem. And so it, fix your eyes on Jesus instead of trying to find a quick fix. And that's how we need to operate life. Instead of looking for the easy way, the short way, I want to get there, and I want to get there fast, and I want to get there quick, and I want to get there easily. Trust in God's process because he's giving you pieces 
And my hope is that we as a church are a church that lives on purpose. And that we live with the promise that's fulfilled for each individual, whatever that may be. And God has created you all uniquely and he's given you different gifts and there's different purposes for different things. And that we can just go and say, yeah, this process may be painful, but I'm taking refuge in the Lord and he's going to carry me through. And I don't want to miss any pieces because I know he's got a big purpose for me. I'm convinced of that and I can't wait to get there and I don't know when I'm going to get there, but I'm going to trust in the Lord that he's bringing me there and when he gets me there, I want to be complete not lacking anything. I don't want to miss a thing that God's doing in my life. I don't want to miss it because if I miss it, I could be incomplete and I could miss out on the bigger purpose that God has for me. And so if you're going through a painful process right now, know that the Lord has a purpose for it and he can work out whatever bad thing the enemy throws in your way and he can turn it into good. I wish I could tell you when. I wish I could tell you how. I can just say I'll help you get through the pain the best we can. And that's what we all are going to do, right? We just got to like, hey, we're, we're a group of people helping people get through the process. And we'll rejoice when they see the purpose. Lord, we come before you thanking you for trusting us to do a good work. Thank you for working in us and through us. And even though it's hard, Lord, let us fix our eyes on you so we're not missing any pieces. That we're not looking for a quick fix, for a shortcut. But we just want to trust in your goodness. So we seek your strength to get through. And we praise you, Lord. We exalt you. We give you glory for the promises that you promised us. It's in your name we pray.